<laughs> Here we are now. <laughs> Here we are now. <laughs> Here we are with another episode of the Andrew Lake podcast. Welcome back. Today I'd like to talk about how I got the name Dosta. Yes, it's a very <laughs> it's a very special episode today. <laughs> it's all about me. Me, me, me. Yes, Dosta. Why have I started saying my name is Dosta? What's the story there? Well, there are two answers, really. And one of them's short and one of them's long. And I'll give you both, just because I feel to talk about it <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Here, now, as we are, as we so happen to find ourselves in this current situation. And the short answer is, well, that's just my name. That's all there is to it. Everyone's got a name, got to be called something, don't you? My name is Dosta. That's what I prefer to be called. I don't think it's too much of a hassle. If it's too tricky for you, I can spell it for you. D-O-S-T-A. Now, I know my accent is a bit funny. You might not be able to hear it properly, but I think you'll get the hang of it once you've heard me say my name is Dosta enough times. And that's really all I have to say about it. That's the end of this conversation. It's no biggie. My name's Dosta, what's yours? Can we be friends? <laughs> Let's talk about something fun. Let's make some fun. <laughs> but the longer answer... Oh, the long answer of why is my name Dosta? Oh, well, that's my testament. That's the story of my life. That's who I am. That's what I've become. So I can share a little bit about that. I by no means feel to share my entire life story. <laughs> because in fact I plan to do some writing, some autobiographical writing and to release these as audiobooks when the time is right. Maybe by the time you hear this, it will be available. And there are many book ideas, there are many drafts of books that I have just about ready to go. They're almost there, they just need those finishing polishing touches, which of course... That's the hard part of any writing. So keep that in mind. And there are many reasons why a person would change their name. I mean, this is not all that uncommon. I'm sure you've known someone who's changed their name. In the West, when a couple get married, one of them changes their last name. Most of the time, not all the time. And then, of course, there's spy novels or a thriller story, a thriller movie where there's a secret agent and he has a, a double life, a secret name. Or someone changes their name because of a, a witness protection program. So that's not happening with Dosta. That's not what's going on here. <laughs> there's a big difference between... A name on paper, like we have a name which is for your email, for your tax, for your bank account, 
for your driver's license. That's your name for practical purposes for the, the, the government name, the legal name. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an identity. I'm talking about a experience, something that is experiential, which is what it's like for someone to say your name. And there are all sorts of things like alter egos or multiple personalities or split personalities or psychological suppression or rejection or a shadow where you say, that's not me, this is not part of me. And there are all sorts of things about that we can talk about. And that's all psychology. But getting back to me, my name is, well, a little bit of a history, which is that I was born as Jonathan. And so for a lot of my life, I've been called Jono. And now that things have turned out how they have... (laughs) Now that we can offer up a bit of a, (laughs) now that we've done a bit of an autopsy, we can see where things, (laughs) where things went wrong. (laughs) And it's clear to me that this name doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And that has been a big realization for me. And you can have it too. Can you realize this, that your parents named you wrong? Your parents gave you the wrong name? They didn't know your name. And so they were just picking something out as the way they felt it. Now, there is an art to choosing a name for a child. And mum, I love you. But really, you had no idea what was coming. You had no idea what you were what you were getting yourself involved in. You had no idea of the being that was to to explode from you. That was to grow and to live in this world. So with all due respects to my mother, And it's not always the case that it's the wrong name. I mean, I've met people where there's something about the name Patrick. And I've always met a Patrick. And every time I meet Patrick, I've, I've known probably three or four Patricks in my life. And somehow it always fit. It's very strange, isn't it? That a name can have something in it where it's a type of person. Now, during my travels, there were... Two names that illustrated this even deeper for me. And one of those names was Eva. So I met two women who had the name Eva. One was born with the name and given the name Eva. And another had chosen the name. The one who had chosen it was a Chinese woman, a beautiful woman. An amazing woman, I might add. And she'd chosen it as her her Western name. So this thing of Asians choosing other names is also another part of the game. I also met an Asian called Bob. And somehow that really fit him as well. So there's an art to choosing a name. And then the other name that really hit home this idea of a name having an essence to it was Mira. Now, Mira, M-E-E-R-A, is a Hindu god, a Hindu character, who, or a goddess, I should say, who, when she became enlightened, she started dancing. And I met three people who had changed their name to Mira, three women, during my travels, 
and somehow it always fit. Somehow it made sense. And that is not to say that there's not exceptions to the rule. And in fact, it really made me scratch my head and wonder, why is it that we have names which are common? Why do we have common names? Really, every single person is a unique, individual, creative, one-of-a-kind being. Right? Isn't that the case? Aren't we all individuals? Yes, we are all individuals. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe that's just a, a brain ticker. That's, that, that's just a, a food for thought, a little game for what names mean. And of course, if you get called the wrong name as a child, if someone calls you names, being called names, that's being teased. Someone is calling you something which you are not, and it's a nasty, derogatory thing. Oh, smelly. Oh, poo-poo bum. Oh, oh, si si silly, silly dilly. Dibba dobba cindy. These are some very serious, hard insults. And if you ever get called any of these, oof. It's going to hurt. It really hurts to get called these sorts of names. And really large, larger on, a, on an adult scale, there is the postmodern dilemma of what do words mean? And that's the meaning crisis. But I digress. I was telling you about my history of names, and I was born as Jonathan, and I've had many nicknames. When I was in high school, I was called Crescent, and that was because of a little dance I did. Many of my friends called me Crescent, and I think the symbolism there was that the Crescent Moon is a little bit half-hidden. There's a little bit of darkness to it. And then in university, I had a jazz band, which was named Lakeside Circus. So everyone called me Lakeside, because of course my last name is Lake, Andrew Lake, Jonathan Andrew Lake. So Andrew came into it because it's my middle name. So everyone was calling me Lakeside, and variations thereof, Lakeview, Lake Seat, Lake Beach. These sorts of names. But the main one was Lakeside, and it was a very, it was a party name. It was like, ah, Lakeside, eh, Lakeside. And Lakeside Circus was a party band. It was these jazz styles and these modern jazz and these beats and this rock and this crazy riffs and all these styles merged together. And the best shows we did was when everyone was drunk and the whole place was blaring and rah, lakeside, lakeside. And then a little bit later on, I got a street name. Now, the street name was deep into my identity. It was deep into how I felt as a person. Because my street name was used to go out and do illegal activities, thrill-seeking activities. And I became quite notorious. I had a bit of a following. And there were people, there was a circle of friends by which I met and came into contact with via building a name. A street name. I won't say what it is. If you know me personally, most likely you do know what it is and you have a fair idea of the activities, the sorts of things I used to do. And I still, I wouldn't rule out saying that I wouldn't do them again. 
But that was a long time ago now. Much has changed since then. So this street name was to protect against getting getting in with the cops. It was to be away from the law. It was a nom de plume, as they say. A street name is your secret identity so that you can have an identity and yet stay remain anonymous as well at the same time. And even even within that, I had multiple names. There was one name which was really, that was who I was. And this was what a group of people came to know me at. So they would call me that name. They wouldn't call me Jono or Andrew or Lakeside or Crescent. They'd call me my street name. And it wouldn't make sense. And I would call them by their street name. It wouldn't make sense to use their legal name. Because that's how we came to know each other. And that was the, the person that we wanted to be operating within. That was the identity that we wanted to wear. That was the collection of actions and feelings and ways of talking that we wanted to inhibit. And this thing of alter egos, you see it in the superheroes. You see it in Batman, Spider-Man, Bruce Wayne, the Joker, Superman. These, these characters are so interesting to watch because they have, they're really two people in one. And they have their alter ego and then they have who they are or who they think they are. And there's this war between them. There's the inner struggle Now, is that what's happening with the name Dosta? Not exactly. Might take me a little while to elaborate. But Dosta is not a superhero. And there's no struggle between this, oh, this is the real me and this is not me. To really get a name... You have to earn the name. It has to stick. Now, nicknames like Lakeside or a street name, a street name you build through your own activities, let's say, for want of a better word. Your own vigilante adventures. So a street name is in your control to an extent. But a nickname is really up to your group of friends. And nicknames come out of just uh, sitting around and a playfulness and a, 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 a bouncing interaction. And there are really, if you have a good group of friends, then you have a lot of different nicknames bouncing around. Some people might have, I knew a guy, he had like five or six different nicknames. We were always calling him something different. And every time we would laugh. <laughs> So it doesn't count to just say, oh, oh, I have this idea and now I want to uh, be called this name. This is just my idea. Everyone, everyone, please start calling me this. That doesn't really work either because there is an effort to asking people to call you something different. There has to be a reason behind it. And really, a name is born out of a community. And this was how I got the name Dosta. Now, I've been mentioning many times so far over the past few days and weeks that I've been doing some travel. I've done a big trip around the world. And one of the most significant places that I visited and was staying at, I was staying there for eight months throughout the year. It was Osho International Meditation Resort. And this is a place, this is a community, really, where you go and you do Osho meditations. And there are hundreds and thousands of people visiting this resort day in, day out, 
And while I was living there, I became a part of the community. And there's a certain point when you're in a community. There's a certain point where you say, yes, I am part of this community. That takes time. It was a long journey for me. There were many ups and downs, many ins and outs. It's very hard to explain that in just a few words. But the other thing about the Osho International Meditation Resort is that, well, it's the original home of Osho. Osho the man, Osho the guru, the mystic, the master, the speaker, the cultural phenomenon, the visionary, the rascal, the rebel. We can have a complete conversation just about Osho the man himself. And I hope one day we can, soon enough. We could talk all day about him, really. There's so many juicy stories that surround the man. A very interesting man. But this resort, this community, or this cultural, how to say, it's sort of like a religion, but not exactly. This thing that he started is called Neo-Sinyasin. To, to be it, what is Neo-Sinyasin? To be, well, how do I say this right? The, a, a person who is a follower... I'm mixing my words because I don't know clearly exactly how to go about explaining this and in which order to explain it. Basically, a follower of Osho is a neo-sannyasin, but that's not exactly right. That's how it appears on the surface. Now, what is a, what is a sannyasin? We'll drop the neo-sannyasin and just say sannyasin for now. We can distinguish the two later on. But basically, what is a sannyasin? A follower of Osho, but not really, because a sannyasin, on a deeper level, is a follower of themselves. Now, Osho was big on empowering the people who were involved in his community. He was big on the responsibility of the individual the freedom of the individual, the uniqueness of the individual. And there are many ways in which humans decide to organize themselves in collectives. And if you want to say something about the way Osho's people organize themselves as sannyasins and as a community at a meditation resort, then you need to take into account all the ways in which humans organize themselves collectively. And that includes all hierarchies. It includes communism. It includes Nazism. It includes dictatorships. It includes democracy. And on another level, it involves all sorts of communities. Volunteer communities. For-profit communities. Corporations, organizations, businesses. And... Really, of all the ways that I know about, the, the, the sannyasin community is one of the most beautiful things I've ever found in my life. And for so long I was saying, I don't want to be a sannyasin, I'm not a follower, I'm a rebel, I'm not religious. I don't follow the crowd. And even though I'd heard all these talks, I'd heard Osho say about the individual, I knew his importance and his stress on the individual. 
and I knew that it could mean to me what I wanted it to mean to me, well, that's a, that's a good answer to the question, what is a sannyasin? Which is, it means what you want it to mean. The significance and the meaning and the juice is entirely up to you. Now, I don't expect people to understand that on the surface. On the surface, it can look like any old thing. Oh, Andrew's joined a cult. Andrew's joined a religion. Oh, Andrew's joined a... a, a I don't know what he's done, but he's, he's a follower now. He's been brainwashed. And if it's too hard for you to understand, well, then I'm sorry. I feel sad. I'm not angry. My instinct is to pity you. And even to just worry a little bit about you. So what is a sannyasin? Well, in essence... It is what it means to you. But more practically, it means that you are a part of this community, this Osho community. And for so long I resisted it, I didn't want it. But after a certain point, there was a... There was a a specific moment where where it became obvious that I had to do this. There are certain times in life when things become perfectly clear. There are certain times in life where you can't deny certain truths And really what has been happening to me, what I have found in, not just in my life, but more broadly in my existence, it had already started happening before I went to the Osho International Meditation Resort. What I had found, I'd already found. What had happened to me had already happened to me. And I knew it. Before I even left to go on my spiritual quest, before I even went overseas, before all of that, it had already started happening. But this journey, this quest, that was really hitting at home. To the point where it's now in my bones. There's a difference between, say, it's like... Say you have a, an insight or a revelation in your mind, or you have a new thought. That's, that's a little tick in the mind. That's a spark in the mind. That's the light bulb over the head. And if you have enough of those, and they're powerful enough, and they're happening regularly enough, then you have what's called a paradigm shift. Your beliefs start to change. Your values start to change. When that starts to happen, and if you have enough of those in a row, then you have an identity change. You have an identity shift. But there's a deeper level. There's your essence. There's the thing that's beyond your identity. There's what you know to be true, to be your ground of being. And it's possible to find that truth and to have it right on the surface of your skin. Now, an identity shift is... An an identity game is a thing to itself. It's like... Well, an identity is uh, what do I do and what do I want and what do I say and how do I act? 
You've got this image in your head of all those things, and then you're trying to play to that thing. So an identity crisis is when you do something that doesn't fit that. Your identity isn't working. And this is really post-traumatic stress syndrome. These men go off to war, and they have all this aggression, and they do all these horrific, horrendous things. And they have no time to process it, no time to understand it, because they're in the thick of it. And then they come back and they have to make sense with the fact that they have done these behaviors. I won't go into detail. I'm sure you can try to imagine. And dealing with the fact that they've done these things is, is the cause of stress. It's a crisis. Who am I? How could I have done these things? And then there's like the identity crisis, which is, oh, this is the new me. And that's not what's going on here with Dosta. Oh, look at me. Dosta is a really good person. Dosta is really compassionate. Dosta is really intelligent. Dosta is smart. Dosta doesn't do anything stupid. He's this really highly evolved, oh, he's been on this spiritual quest. What an amazing Dosta. I have to live up to Dosta. That's the same game. That's the same game of trying to say, this game of, oh, I am a good person. I want to be a good person. That's just an identity game. And then sometimes the identity for, for some people, it doesn't really extend in that way. And people have an identity shift like, uh, this happens in the case of the sex change. So I've known one person personally, before and after in my life, who's had a sex change. I've heard a few people on the peripheries of my circle, but one person really only I have known who's had a sex change. So that's their sexual identity. And maybe their sexuality, I guess there's a range between how much your sexuality is a part of you and not. Now, in the case of someone who has a sex change, usually their sexuality is a big part of them. And it's funny to notice what doesn't change when someone has a sex change. Now, I won't say who it was, but someone was saying about this person, wow, you think that when they have this sex change, wow, whole new person. Wonderful. They're going to be so nice. It's such a positive thing. And they say, well, no, actually, they're still an asshole. They still get stressed. <laughs> so sexual identity, personality, and emotional profile, these are all separate things. These are all different things. And really, what's happening with Dosta is not that. In a sense, Dosta knows that it's just a name. It really is just a name. Because I've found a deeper being, a deeper sense. And it's possible to tap into this feeling that you are beyond your name. That thing that you were before you had a name. And really, Dosta is not some super advanced, highly evolved person. Doster is, in fact, the opposite. Doster is a regress. Doster is going back to childhood. It's going back to innocence. And I've done a lot of inner work with the inner child. And now when I look at baby photos, I say, wow, that is Doster. I can see the, the look in his eyes. And the actions. And the movement of the body. And I say, that's little Dosta. He should have been called Dosta. How different my life would have turned out if I had have been named Dosta. It makes me wonder about people who get their name and it's a significant thing in terms of the historical placing that they have. 
Jesus comes to mind. Now, when Jesus was being born, it was, there was a prophecy. The child will be born and his name will be Jesus. His destiny was already written for him. There's a significance there. So, Dosta, I hear and I often feel the spark of the inner child. But I also feel that this whole thing of names and identity, it's just a game. And it's an experiential thing. It's tapping into the beyond. It's tapping into the wordless. And it's so hard to... It's, well, it's impossible to talk about. It's impossible to understand. If I say to you something like, I have visited the center of eternity. Does that make any sense to you? Can you get a sense of the beyond in that phrase? Visiting the center of eternity? I have been to the farthest reaches of infinity. Do you know what that means? To reach infinity? Do you believe, do you even know that it's possible to be infinite? Or are you just sitting there thinking, oh, well, no, infinite is infinite. You can't reach infinite, in infinity because you just add one, there's another. It's impossible, not possible. Well, I'm telling you that it is possible and it's an experiential thing that no words, no word game is going to change it. And to experience something like that, I've been on this journey and I've done these powerful processes. The Osho International Meditation Resort is the Disneyland of transformative practice. We're doing tens and tens of dozens and, and, and even hundreds of meditation, dance, body work, awareness techniques, consciousness techniques, groups, individual work. And in these processes, they are contrived, but some of them are highly advanced, highly cutting edge, very deep work, but within them you have these moments where something truly extraordinary happens. It's possible to see the most beautiful thing existence has. It's possible to be present at the most beautiful moment. Can you realize the significance of that? Can you realize how transformative that is? And you might say, Dosta, does this mean you're enlightened? <laughs> well, this word enlightenment has so many meanings these days, it causes a lot more confusion than it helps to illustrate anything. And of course, the answer is no. To visit the center of eternity is very different to living there constantly. So these enlightened masters like Osho or whoever your favorite master is, whoever your guru is, there are many enlightened masters. These are some extraordinary human beings. These are outliers. These are the people who are astronomical. They dance among the stars. And they live there. They're really from another world. Really, these are the people that we call divine. These are the sorts of people where organized religion springs up around them. 
And these are very rare gifts to humanity. They don't come along very often. And I am by no means. You and me, we're just the common folk. You and me, we, we can do our transformative practices. And we can taste what they have. But they lived there. They, they were beings from there. And they were there. Now, I feel like I could talk all day about what a master is. And it's really hard to, it's impossible to overemphasize just how extraordinary these human beings are. It's like, say we have a scale, like between you and me, the, the difference is two or three points on a scale of a million. If I'm at level seven, you're at level six and a half. And these enlightened masters are hundreds of thousands of levels ahead. Now, of course, the, the, the scale and the whole levels thing doesn't work. It's too simplistic for, for what I'm talking about. So, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm now some amazing... I, I really am just a common folk. But the, the commonality of it the the normal the normalness of me of how how small my life is that's half the trip because i've had these powerful experiences and i'm asking why why me why was i chosen to realize this why was i chosen to break through why was I given this shift? Why can't anybody do this? Now, this gets right at the heart of the matter. This gets to the paradox. Can anybody do this? Can anybody get what I've got? It seems to be all about you, Dosta. You're so self-centered. Why are you so special? Weren't there other people at this resort? Don't other people do these meditations? And the answer is yes, of course. And they do get very powerful things out of it. But what a person gets is completely individual. It's personal. It was only me who could get what I got at that time, in that situation, in that way. It was completely unique. And when I say I, I get what I got, that is just a manner of speaking because so much of transformative practice is removing things. So I don't really gain, I actually lose things. And it's not all, it's not all lovey-dovey, you know, it's not all sweet stuff. There's darkness. There's pain. And it's not easy. It's hard to relive your pain. It's hard to go into the depths of your, your frustration and your anger. And all the desires I didn't have fulfilled. All the things that I wanted. All the things I did wrong. The embarrassment. The hate, and just just the clenching of the jaw and the fists. And to have all the people on my back. And then to see that in that darkest hour, when everything seems lost, there was someone there for me. There was someone able to help me. And the people I'd thought were hurting me were actually trying to help me. So we don't go through this alone. Because it's not only my pain that I've faced, but I've seen others face theirs.
And I've seen that exact point where something turns around. When something sparks in a person. When there's an alchemy of turning something into gold. The pressure, the heat, the burn of something becoming crystallized. And it fills me with a tremendous hope, with a tremendous joy. And I have known ecstasy like you wouldn't believe. My ecstasy is something I wish to share. I would want that for anybody. And of course I do wonder if this kind of emotional talk is too much. And it really is too much for passing conversation. For me to really explain myself, it takes a long conversation. It takes time. And really, I should have buttered you up. I should have said, open up, strap yourself in, get ready for Dosta. Because this sort of emotional talk, if you spring it on someone, it is a bit, a bit much. So I don't mean to get so serious, but it's just the way things turned out. <laughs> it's how things are that when I talk about it, it's emotional. Now, another thing I haven't shared, if I'm correct in thinking, is that I haven't shared the meaning of the name Dosta. So when you get a sannyasin name, which was given to me by my community, more specifically by my a, a dear friend of mine who was helping me, and she was an, a, a wonderful sannyasin lady, an Australian lady, and her name is Rupa. So thank you to Rupa for your help and your wonderful conversations and for just being a wonderful human being having so much wit and sharing so many jokes and <laughs> I feel like I could talk all day about Rupa. She's just wonderful. So the meaning of the name Dosta. Now in India, the most one of the most common languages, there's a few languages, but the most common one is Hindi. And in Hindi, Dost means friend, D-O-S-T. And a prefix of a, adost, means it's not. So if you say adost, it means not friend. So afterwards means you are a friend. It's an affirmative. And also the a and the o, like in Spanish, in Hindi, sometimes share a relationship between the feminine and the masculine. So dosta and dosto it's the man and the woman, like in amiga and amigo, or senorita, senorito, or novio, novia. But this is not strict Hindi linguistic law. This is a, a floppy sort of colloquial interpretation. So if there was a Hindi, I'm sure if there was a Hindi... Uh, professor or a, a, a literate Hindi speaker, they would say, no, that's not exactly what's happening. But the point is that in India, when I said my name was Dosta, I got a lot of comments about how it's such a beautiful name from Indian people. And they would say that that means friend. Now, there is another meaning which is the, uh, if you type in Dosta into the internet, it's a Romanian or a gypsy word, 
which means enough. Now, enough, when taken as a word, can have a lot of weight behind it. There's a lot of juice there. Enough can mean enough is enough. I've had enough. It's time for things to be the way they should be. Enough of this madness. Enough of this treachery. <laughs> enough is enough. This is the last straw. I can't see any way in or any way out. This is enough. <laughs> so there's that version of the name, that, that, that meaning of the word dosta, enough. And then there's also, then there's also enough which is more the meaning of what I felt it to be at first, which was, I've had enough. I've had my satisfaction. Life has given me what I came here for. Everything else is just a bonus. It's an extra. I've found my core. Now, this is why... It's good to have a name that can remind you of things because I can forget this. I'm no saint. <laughs> I still have my desires. I still have my ambitions. I still want certain things. But to have that as a reminder of enough. You've had enough. You've found, you've explored so much. It's more than anyone could ever want for. That was another meaning. Now, the third meaning is dosta in Japanese. Now, dosta in Japanese means what happened? What happened? And I had this Japanese girlfriend for a time overseas and she would always say dosta, dosta, like this and it was like, what happened? Tell me what happened. And somehow that always fit as well with my personality and what was going on. If there was something dramatic or there was something really intense or there was something funny, there was something playful or there was a story or there was an emotion happening, it was always like, what happened? Tell me what's going on. And now I take it to mean the bigger thing of sharing the story. And really saying, what happened? Now, one of the processes that I was involved in at the Osho International Meditation Resort was called Path of Love. You can look this up. It's Path Retreats. And it's a seven-day awareness intensive. And the core of it is love. And one of the grandest moments during that course, it's a very highly structured, elaborate, complicated course. It's a process. There's, there's, over, there's over three dozen awareness techniques all strung together. So it's highly advanced, highly complicated stuff. It's deep work. But one of the gems, one of the pinnacles of that process was when, well, it was when I found an answer to the question, what happened? And the answer to the question, what happened, is love happened. And I wish you could see how beautiful that is, how significant that is. For one person to stand up and say they found love. For one person to be the original place from where these Stories come from of finding God or finding peace. Or becoming one with existence. 
or reaching infinity or standing at the center of eternity. And that's not an identity crisis. That's an identity celebration. And really, Dosta should mean what every name should mean, which is that of celebration. Of someone coming home. Someone breaking through. The prodigal son returns. Now, to finish this conversation, I'd like to share a poem with you. And I wrote this poem during the path of love. And it was when I was really in the depths of it. It was really, I'd like to say the peak, the climax, but it's not really the climax. It was more, it was more the, the base, the rock bottom. And this poem came up very intuitively. And there's a lot of significance to these words. And really it, it extends with references that were beyond just the path of love and more into my trip in general. So it, it shares a lot in my life in general. So I hope you're willing to be open and to receive these words and to take them Take them to heart, as this is me sharing my heart with you. So, here goes. This is my Path of Love poem. Something exists. I felt it when I looked into those eyes and saw brilliant nebula stardust burst across the galaxy. I felt it when I heard the forgotten song that was only sung once. I felt it as a child after a summer storm had passed. I feel it when I'm crying with a smile. Thank God something exists. Love exists. <laughs>